Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. The CFO role is changing rapidly, moving from cost controller to strategic visionary. And with every change comes opportunity. We are here to help you take advantage of this transition to win at work, drive your career forwards and lead with confidence. Join Hannah Monroe, Managing Director of ITAS, a financial transformation consultancy, as she interviews key experts to give you real-world advice and guidance on how to transform your processes, people and data. Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. Did you know that 70% of CFOs still make decisions based on gut feeling rather than actual data? Join Hannah Monroe your host of CFO 4.0, for an online presentation where she discusses what you need to truly become a data-driven finance leader. This session will not only talk about the why, but will also identify how you can automate your financial operations and get meaningful data to drive your business forwards. Check out the link in the show notes or visit our events page at www.itassolutions.co.uk. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of CFO 4.0, a podcast for the changing role of the CFO. With me today, I have John Smith from the Accountancy Recruitment Group, who are a recruitment consultancy specialising in finding candidates for for challenging roles or those that require a high degree of confidentiality or sensitivity. So welcome, John. It's great to have you here. Thank you. So obviously, I've talked a little bit about what you guys do, but do you want to just tell us how you came into accountancy recruitment and how long you've been doing it for? Yeah, sure. So I, I think like most people sort of fell into recruitment uh, after uni. Um, I spent ten years, well, best part of 10 years with a PLC um, that specialised in accounts and finance recruitment in the UK um, and then eventually had the bottle to launch on my own. And so we set the business up about three years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, we've kind of gone from strength to strength from there over the last uh, three years. Wow. And so what shifts are you seeing in the recruitment of CFO roles in particular? Um, I think at, at the top end CFO FD level, um, there's a real, I think there's a generation of probably business owners and, and boardroom directors at COO level being through such dramatic change to their careers already. So that most of them have seen quite a even recession um, and then have subsequently been involved in you know particular growth of faith coming out the back of that i think the most of them are anticipating and are experiencing massive change in uh, in technology and ai and i think as a result of that it, it's feeding down that they expect their fds and cfos to absolutely be that um forward-facing involved business partner that can deal with change um and whether that whether their businesses aren't necessarily experiencing a massive amount of change currently i think all of them have a uh, and awareness that probably there's some change around the corner. So I don't think that's necessarily new, but I think more than ever in my career, I'm finding that they're looking for FDs and CFOs that can describe their ability to cope with change and manage change and, and drive positivity. Um, so I think that's a re- always a focus of conversation whenever I go and meet business owners that are looking for an FD. And just as a, a guesstimate, what percentage of businesses do you think are actually looking for an FD to to drive some sort of transformation project that involves technology? Um, I think it's pretty rare that I'd meet, but whenever we go and take an FD job spec or we're going to meet a business that's paying need in an FD or a CFO, it 
almost never that they're not experiencing some sort of change. And within that change is usually wrapped up um, an investment in some software or some AI or an improved ERP system. Um, so I think that's almost every time we take a job back, that will be part of the brief. Um, other than really kind of traditional SMEs um, that are kind of doing what they've always done and want to do what they've always done, every other business that I deal with, whether it be owner-led or private equity-backed or PLT, I have probably have their eye on having to improve or completely change their, their technology. So are, are there any specific skill sets or particular attributes that they're looking for in those CFOs? Like, and how are they, how are they identifying those? Yeah, I think it's it's a bit of a catch twenty two because often they want a CFO or FD that's been through the process before, which is difficult because if you have, you have, and if you haven't, you haven't. Um, I think that there are probably sort of four key areas. One is that their FDs or CFOs are solution focused, so it's got to be somebody that has demonstrable track record of bringing um, a solution to the table and can constantly drive that in front of them. Um, I don't think that necessarily has to be linked to a particular type of change. So if they've been through an acquisition or a business going through from a point of being into more positive, um, if they've been through putting a new system in, it's kind of how did they approach the bumps in the road that in, inevitably everybody knows they'll experience during that journey. Um, so I think there's probably that. And then I think basically here a lot is probably battle scarred. And again, it's people that haven't necessarily just sat in a stable environment been doing what they've always done and um, at the moment I just don't think that watches that candidate doesn't you know look at that job and um, it has to be something that can describe a whole a whole ream of reactions and, and problems almost that they've had to get that they've had to put the business through and um, so I think it's all that it's all a focus around what have you done differently rather than can you manage the business as usual because I think they'll just anticipate that you can do that um, and we'll do that as well. So there's an expectation that the sort of the technical skills around finance are just there and actually the focus is more on the soft skill side? Definitely. Yeah, 100 percent I think they'll take it as read that you can get a set of numbers out, manage a team to get year end boxed off. Much more about the businesses hoping to do this, this and this. And you talk us through evidence that suggests you can be a leading force in the boardroom in driving that. And how much of an expectation is there around the leadership skills of those those people going into those CFO type roles because that's not traditionally been a skill set that I've certainly seen recruited for in a CFO role. Uh, yeah, I think historically you've sometimes had maybe somebody at finance manager or FC level that's maybe picked up the in inverted commas staff management um, piece. Whereas I think now, because this change agenda feeds downhill, in that you start to see more and more qualified finance professionals earlier in their career wanting to be involved in projects, wanting to be mostly working with commercial and operational colleagues. Um, and by nature, I think those characters are probably potentially tougher to manage because they've got higher expectations of the business. Um, and they probably would want direct contact with the FD end quicker. They want that face time, they want that mentoring support. And they're often the candidates that businesses want. So I think there's an emphasis there on the CFO and, and FDs to be able to attract and then be able to retain those people. Um, so that's probably changed rather than that sitting with the FC who would lead the team and the, and the CFO will be, will be kind of upwards facing into the boardroom. And what I find really interesting is the conversations that we're having with finance directors around things like CPD, et cetera, tend to be quite focused around the technical piece. So I guess one of the questions is, is you know, what kind of 
CPD should those already in roles and have having that opportunity be looking for, you know, to support them in terms of their, their career development? Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting. We've had this conversation ourselves and I've had this conversation with both clients and candidates. I agree. I don't think there is necessarily a focus on um, a, a place FDs and CFOs can go to um, on a consistent basis to develop those kind of less accounting skills. Um, I think a lot are increasingly turning into strong executive coaches um, who might potentially support business and go and support the COO and the CFO gets invited to that party now. Um, I don't think that's necessarily new, but I think now it's an expectation that that, that should be happening. Um, but it's not formalised, it's not standardised, because to get again down to the particular exact coaches involved, what their experiences, who their client base and demographic are. Um, I think that there probably is a space for someone to be delivering a more consistent whatever that would look like. So interesting enough, that, so the latest research from Sage around CFO 3.0, which is about the changing role of CFO, they mentioned or they discovered speaking to the participants that 94% of FDs and CFOs, that they say that um, their role doesn't just cover um, fiscal responsibility anymore. What are there any other areas? We've mentioned technological change and driving transformation. Are there any other areas you, you're seeing those roles sort of pick up um, that wouldn't normally have been under sort of that that area, as it were? Yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, an increasing model that the CFO is primed to be the COO, or you know, the FD is primed to be the MD. Um, so I think natural areas that fall, start to fall underneath will become things like procurement and purchasing. Um, not financial and fiscal element, but it's not necessarily finance. Um, increasingly and interestingly, HR then starts to almost HR and payroll potentially function bolts itself under the FD. Um, so they absolutely have that sort of staff overarching staff responsibility um, and cultural and development responsibility. Um, and then again, we're increasingly seeing either sales or operational functions or both. Uh, you know, CFOs more and more increasingly working with a marketing director, a sales director. Um, not just around the pricing model of a tender or a new bid, but actually then getting involved in, well, I want to pull me the customer, I want to be involved in the sale process, for example. Um, and then I say that creates a brilliant gateway because the journey should naturally be that that person then potentially steps out of finance again in inverted commas and becomes the potentially number one or number two for the business. Um, the challenge that people have in that situation again is that there isn't necessarily a, an obvious qualification that both sales in or an, or an obvious second level or past getting team or ATCA or ATA qualified. And it's really interesting that from what I've seen, they don't seem to be pushing that kind of leadership aspect into those qualifications either, given that that's, that's the next step. Definitely. I think because an MBA is seen as such an undertaking and it's so expensive, um, that's often a, an, an approach that people take. Or it does the business support it and the business support it? And can you juggle it whilst you're doing all of your day job? Yeah. And let's be honest, that finance role is not an easy role, especially with all the new responsibilities that people are getting into it anyway. Um, and and I guess that's 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 the piece. And I guess that should be one of the questions that people ask as part of any new role. So that's one. So what what options do they have for career development and you know their personal development? What what sort of things should people be asking when they're going into this role, particularly when it's one that requires a, a transformation focus, as it were? 
if you think of your senior financial professional and you're going into a business that wants you to be there to deliver change, it's, you need to get under the under the hood of is the rest of the team leadership team already on board or not? And if they are, to what degree? Um, because I think invariably you will get people that are change resistant and you need to get a little bit of an understanding of what's the incentive when I arrive on day one. But almost what am I getting myself into? Are people banged up for this change and are they going to be welcoming with open arms? Or actually, is there a little bit of, of a journey to cope and to, to come to the party? Um, I think also it's, it's really interesting, not just for this level, but actually for that next level beneath of kind of senior management accountants, commercial accountants, business partners, that lots of businesses have an immediate need for change and they'll, they'll sell it, one of a better way of putting it. They'll sort through how long that project will take, what your involvement will be, and how exciting it will be. And that's great, but I think the parties need to understand well, what happens in phase two when we've boxed that off. Everybody candidate that's then come in situ has got a really high expectation of, I've done all this great stuff. You know, one, I want reward for it, whether that be financial, whether it be with career development, career progression, but also what next thing, because what you often find is a business goes to a load of change, the people spend 12 months or 18 months doing it. Um, once it's done and everybody takes a breath, there isn't something immediately on the horizon. Business asks that person who has been hired on their capability and interested in delivering some positive improvement to go back into a business as usual job. Um, and, it, and it can essentially create friction. And then what happens is you see a, a potential revolving door of 12 to 18 months, that person goes off and goes into something else with another business. And it leaves you with that dilemma of, well, actually, we've never held on to anybody for more than a couple of years in mid-finance. Um, so I think it's really it's really important that everybody's clear about when we've done this, is there a step two? Um, and if there's not, do you then potentially start to consider, well, actually, do we, do we hire an interim information specialist or is interested in that sort of project consultancy? Does do it 12 months and then kick back and does it elsewhere and doesn't create a load of disruption and, um, and staff attrition? That's an interesting concept, isn't it? So when you're going through a big transformation program or project, do you look at an, uh, a temp or bring somebody in temporarily? Um, around that piece and I guess my challenge to that would my question would be well um, shouldn't transformation be an ongoing process and is it is it a fault of the business that they haven't identified that next step or is it that actually there is a limit to the amount of change that's required within a business and in finance yeah and I think it's just an, it's just an honest it's just having to have that that tangent between it because some businesses are absolutely and have got their head around being continuous improvement environments and, and that's great and it's a continuous cycle but I think others <clears throat> potentially have will have phases because sometimes it takes a big financial investment to deliver, and sometimes that's just not there in the you no know, necessarily in the cash flow forecast. So whilst they might have the mentality, you know, it, it often if it's technology, it needs it potentially needs external support. Um, if it's just chipping away at you know trying to do things slightly better, I'd, sometimes that's not enough necessarily for the people that are coming in and wanting to do the big. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess there's that there's that question, isn't there? When you're you're picking your team members, you need to pick the one you need right now and then decide what you're gonna need in eighteen months to two years that you can set that expectation at the beginning. Yeah, definitely. And we talk about sort of copers versus drivers in it and it's sort of identifying that it's you want a whole team full of people who can um survive during a period of change and aren't gonna, you know, necessarily mumble and grumble, but maybe they won't necessarily wanna take sort of the leading reins but they're happy to be on the train with you versus the people that absolutely want to be in the front seat because the people in the front seat 
then don't necessarily want to be sort of relegated in their mind back into a, uh, a more sort of standardised role when they finish. Um, yeah, so it's good if you can almost dovetail the project rather than launch everything all at once, potentially. Yeah, well, once you've been through that excitement of an implementation, and you can tell I'm in the job I am because I do find it very exciting. Um, but uh, I guess it's hard to then go back to um, the role that they've always done. And I and I guess that for me, there's a question around what kind of personal development can you give to those individuals so that their job role changed? Because for us, that change in technology should drive a change in the roles that people are performing long-term. So that shift onto data analytics, insight-driven versus, you know, Excel-based, you know, data entry, as it were, which is really interesting. Um, and I still go into so many companies where these, you know, these really talented people are sitting there just typing numbers into Excel sheets, which for me just seems crazy, especially with the technology that we have today. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's just on that point, it's interesting that I think recruiters um, should dig behind why, why a business are putting a new system in. So if, if you're meeting the FD and they're moving to, you know, an updated stage or whatever it might be, often that's where the conversation stops, where it's actually continues to push that in terms of the why and what the long-term aims, that'll usually be part of a longer or a broader agenda to say, for example, we were working with a business recently and they were upgrading to uh, an ERP because they were looking to then go on an acquisition spree and they needed to have much more sort of their financial ducts in a row and everything streamlined. So as the businesses they bought um, came on board, they could be easily integrated into a unique entirely account. And that's brilliant because the person who puts the system in, you know, you can see a three, four year plan, whereas the businesses are going through, they're involved in due diligence, they're involved in bringing that business over the line, standardising it, it's a much wider piece, rather than taking that job to market to say, the great 12 months could be involved in change. Um, it, there's just so much behind it. And I think that's often the case, it's where they'll invest in that system for the sake of it being a bit neater and tidier. I don't know if you two the same. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that we are seeing more sort of um, short-term posts, so especially in either the mid or the top level roles where they'll bring somebody in um, and they're basically a firefighter. So they've come in to deliver something and they might be only be there for 18 months to two years. Um, but then they move on so because that, that's what they're there to do. And I think that that whole piece, I think you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of figuring out what you want from that person. Um, and perhaps the short term person isn't the long term, you know, steady hand on the rudder, as it were, that you're, you're wanting. Um, I think it's interesting, though, with the uncertainty that's happening and actually transformations, whether it's the businesses that we're speaking to, transformation is the key topic that we're having to go in and speak to people about and how we enable that. So so in terms of so we talked a lot about what employers want from an FD or a CFO role, and we've talked a little bit about the the mid market, so the, the sort of the mid level roles within that finance team. Um, and some of the challenges that they're facing. What in in terms of what those those lower down the finance um, totem pole, as it were, what are they looking for from an FD or a CFO? I think almost it's pretty rare now that we would be a candidate that almost acknowledges, if you like, that they're a steady set of hands and they want to just be a firm hand on the tiller, like you said, and and, um, and, and plod along. I don't think really that. I'm not necessarily sure whether that demographic exists anymore. You know, even even a grassroots in transactional finance, um, people want to be, you know, interested in going to work, being involved in projects, being involved in things that 
and they're being improved and given some headroom. Um, so I think you've got demographic people that you have to map out and you have to be really supporting them in terms of their own personal development, um, even if they're comfortable at the level they're at. You know, so you might find someone that says, I'm at, I'm at management accountant level, I've got no desire to be the FD, but actually I don't just want to be put into a corner and, and lock my own devices. I still want to feel like I'm being developed and being invested in. Um, and I think alongside that, in that group of people who may be sitting at coke, better copers than they are drivers of change, um, there's a huge expectation around work-life balance. Yeah. Um, because if if there's a lot going on, you know, between the nine to five, and they're going to be very busy, and um, you know, and they're in that continuous improvement cycle, actually they want some flexibility back in return. Um, whether that be in terms of actually going to the stage of reduced hours and they want to work four days, or whether that's in the their core hours are ten to four, and they can and they can use that flexibility around their work and week to gain some extra holidays or whatever that might be. Um, I don't think people are willing to just almost like turn up and be very massive changes to the business and, and, and get back their salary and their pension. Month End Close is one of the most time-consuming and stressful processes for financial teams. 74% of mid-sized organisations take over a week and between two and five staff members to complete their close. Join us, the ITIS team, for our on-demand webinar where we look at key findings from a close-the-book survey conducted with 762 participants across a range of industries and platforms. Learn how Brian Goldrick from Vera Whole Health shortened his close by 60%, increased team efficiencies by 25% and 10 best practices that you can take to reduce your close. Visit www.itissolutions.co.uk and go to our events page or click on the link in the show notes to sign up now. And and I guess for me that falls back into making sure you're, you're planning your resource when you're going into these change programmes because actually what you could end up doing is alienating those involved in it, especially if it's a long one, like 18 months you know people aren't willing to sacrifice their work-life balance for that kind of um, change program so it's making sure that you're not putting too much pressure on those individuals and have you seen a shift in the amount of CFOs that are recruiting temporary staff to cope with change projects? Um, I think very recently anecdotally we've noticed um, a little bit of caution amongst uh, FD I think that's leading to coming for an interim rather than permanent hire. Yeah. I think that might just be the tipping point of the, of the whole Brexit debacle and a little bit of political and economic unrest around it of a particularly more responsible employee saying, you know what, we can't actually put our hand on our heart and say, when this project is finished, there's a permanent role there. So rather than hire permanent, we are going to hedge our bets and bring an interim in. So yeah. I think that's having some temporary requirement. Um, and I think you also, there's also, has probably been playing out the last two or three years. There are now a bank, if you like, of temps and interims who have been through some of these transformation projects, maybe done, you know, two, 12, and 18 months, um, and want their next one, um, yeah. rather than when they want to sit in sort of the aftermath. Um, I think the challenge that businesses have just got to be really honest around when we've done this project, what the horizon look like, what will we need at that stage? Because a headache that we've seen play out is that they don't do that and they hire a whole team of people that are great at delivering change and get a whole finance function focused on that. And then if, you know, 40, 50% of those people en masse decide that they want to go and do that again somewhere else, technology that you put in or the change processes you put in, all the expertise and people who know what they're for and know how they work, 
performance pay overnight. Um, so I think business have got to be really careful about wrapping their arms and legs around those people once all the once all excitement's done. It's making sure that there's enough there for them. Um, and even if that is to say, you know what, guys, it's six months off, let's all take a breath and do business as usual. But in this six months you've got high degree of flexibility or we're gonna give you an extra five days holiday. That bit more thinking outside the box gets people over the hump of that kind of what can feel a bit deflating. And I think that's a really interesting point because what you're talking about there is the mix, isn't there, between those that are driving the change and thriving on it versus those that are coping with the change and able to operate in it, but it's not a place they like to be, you know, for any sort of sustained periods of time. Yeah, totally. So, you know, some... And then objectively go and do it somewhere else. I think other people are happy to do that because it's an interesting conversation it's something new. But actually, they probably need six months of recovery time after it to just get on with what they like doing anyway. Um, and, and continually expecting that those people are going to be involved in those projects. Eventually, you're probably pushing to the breaking point. So, and I think there's almost three classifications, isn't there, of people? There's people that can't cope with change. Those that can cope with change, but don't particularly want to be in that state constantly and that those that if they haven't got change that they feel somehow unfulfilled in their lives so let's let's just talk about those different roles and how or in fact that middle role because i think that's a difficult one to find isn't it those that like the the sort of they they, they don't mind doing the day-to-day and they they like a sort of a consistent role but can cope with change what how do you find those kind of people those copers as it were yeah, and what's interesting, I think a lot of people sell themselves short on this. A lot of people I meet, especially if they've been in a role for a long time, you know, they've been a company accountant for 10 years, the business, they'll often say the business hasn't been through a lot of change or the business didn't want to change. And they often fall short interview because people find they're thinking, actually, this person can't deal with it. Actually, when you dig a bit deeper in an interview and you can sort of talk through what they've done, they often can. It's just that they've trivialised it. So, if you talk about has the business changed ownership, has the business changed system, has, did the business uh, have difficult trading conditions during the recession, um, has the business ever purchased another business, has the business ever put itself up for sale? There's so much stuff that people don't consider that if they frame it properly, demonstrates they have dealt with change. It's just that they didn't necessarily recognise it all at the time, lost in the abyss of the next three or four years. Um, but I think actually sometimes recruiters should be supporting those people to say. You know, are you part of those few people who really can't deal with change, of which I think there aren't many. Um, you know, there is an old guard of people or potentially some people that find change very uh, uncomfortable. Most people do like a bit of change. It's just coaxing out of them and teasing, those, uh, teasing it out and then subsequently teasing out how did you deal with it, what was your specific input to that process. Um, and it's surprising some of those people you consider to be a bit more steady and actually some of the things that they've been through over 5, 10, 15 years of the business can be quite thick, um, but they don't give them the top credit for it. And I think, particularly from, from anybody from qualified level to FD, it absolutely makes sense for every quarter, half year, or definitely every year as a minimum, to sit and take some time out to work out, okay, what has changed this year? You know, has anybody in the boardroom changed? Have any of our key customers changed? Have we, have we invested in the business? Anything at all has changed. What was their involvement in it? How did they manage it? What problems did they bring? Um, what solutions did they bring to the table? Because um, as I say, it's, it's easy to sort of overlook them and then all, all of a sudden you can't remember them. Absolutely. And I guess it's that what we should be saying is that, you know, whether you're a, 
a CFO, FD or whatever level you're at, you should be maintaining almost like a, a log of those areas that you've been working through. Um, and and I guess there's a there's a questioning skill, isn't there, in interviews for, for CFOs that are listening to this, is when you're looking for the right staff, the decision that you've got to make is, do you want drivers or do you want copers? You know, have you got the right mix within your team? Um, and then how and then making sure that you're interviewing for those particular attributes versus you know expecting everyone to embrace change with you know with and jump into it so I think I think that's an interesting concept and I think well, there's a there's a um, there's a tendency isn't there to just want everybody to be all over a new project and to want to lead it and actually you, you need the doers as much as you need the leaders within your your teams Definitely. And I think by, by nature, the CFO has been in that seat. Typically, they can deal with change and they probably are in that, that, that yeah. group. love it. Um, and it's just being mindful that because somebody isn't like-minded doesn't mean they're not a good fit for the function. Um, yeah. Because if you hire a team full of drivers, labouring the point, it is very much around what you're going to do with them. And, <laughs> you, you know, when you potentially have a period where you run out of a bit of runway. Yeah. And, and that balance. And I have to say that those that love change aren't necessarily the detail people. They, they, you know, they aren't as necessarily as process orientated sometimes. So it's not just about their, their mindset and their ability to cope with change. It's about, you know, the personalities that you get and that balance you have within the team as well in terms of skill sets, um, which is which is always key. And the experience as well. There's a lot of experience, I think, in the older workforce that's not necessarily being taken advantage of. Awesome. Okay, so um, so we've talked to, talked about a lot today. So we've talked about sort of the the shift in what employers are looking for. We've gone through um, what um, team members that we're recruiting might be looking for, um, and and I guess what we should be looking for in terms of new team members. Is there anything else that we should be considering when we're looking? We've talked about sort of the driver versus caper. Um, is there anything else we should be considering when we're we're hiring new junior members of our team? There has to be that awareness again that if you're hiring drivers, uh, and that's great, and they're going to be on the train with you, and you can see the two of you are going to have you know a CFO and potentially, for example, a, a commercial project accountant. Um, the dynamic of that relationship, you're signing into thinking, yeah, this works perfectly, and, and you know we're absolutely thinking the same hymn sheet. That's great. Um, ultimately, the two of you are probably unlikely to be in a room together a lot with the rest of the team because you're probably going to delegate day-to-day management of that project down into that person. And it's really getting your head around, does their personality and management approach and project approach, um, will that necessarily gel with the rest of the people that you're working with? Yeah. Because I think you can end up with kind of lots of big characters on a project and and when actually, like you just alluded to, a lot of the grassroots change in terms of mapping our processes, you know, bedding in new controls, all that type of grassroots finance that feeds uphill into the overarching project. If the people don't, you know, if that team don't buy into this person coming in, you, you need to have that conversation. Either they need to be mindful of that and, and change their approach. Um, it could be that you pull up it and then they just back it with the rest of the team and whilst you two down brilliantly, it's kind of what's going on in the day today. So I think it's understanding that, yeah, okay, they manage a bunch of characters that might not necessarily have the same natural sort of capacity, capability or interest in change. 
and I, I, that comes back down to communication. So, and we, we talked a lot at the beginning about um, how the FD role, you know, the soft skills are becoming almost more important than the technical side, um, as in the technical traditional accounting. And I'm guessing what we're what we're saying here as well is if you're going to bring in a driver, somebody to drive change and help support you through that process, then you need to make sure that their soft skills are up to scratch as well. Because there's nothing I, I can, having been through it, I can tell you there's nothing worse than having a member of that team that's not a great communicator or can't get the rest of the team on board so yeah and we so as an example we've had, so we've had a scenario where a client had um, interviewed someone that they had loads of change as part of the transformation project with a competitor um, and actually when they dug into the skin of it everybody who was involved in that project were effectively interim consultants almost from kind of purchase like level up and their whole agenda was as a group we've all come in to deliver this change when we've finished it we're all going to migrate it across to another company and we're all going to go and do it somewhere else. That's a really different job to come into our business where we've got a team of virtual parts of credit control function, a team of assistant management accountants who already know what they're doing and who already do what they do quite well. Because you're going to get a different level of resistance. You're going to have to get you know a different set of tools out to get each of those individuals um, on the right page. Um, and that's completely different to hiring people working with a whole host of individuals who already have that have that well mapped out from the day they join the business. Um, so I think it's just you know, underneath how did you manage the project, where you, what were the pitfalls, what were people's um, like for it when you arrived, and do you think that might be what you're going to hear? If so, how are you going to approach the different challenges? Awesome. Brilliant. Well, um, I'm afraid to say I'm gutted. Actually, <laughs> we 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 are at the at the end of the the time allotted, unfortunately. And I must admit, I think this conversation in terms of recruitment, you could you know you could go on for hours talking about sort of questions, and might have to convince you to come back on the podcast, John, because um, it's been brilliant. So just to sum up for those that are listening, so what we've talked about is that we're seeing a shift in the recruitment of CFOs. There's very few CFOs that aren't being or certainly new CFO roles that don't have an element of transformation, um, whether that's technological or process driven within their organization. Employers are looking for FDs that are not only able to cope with change, but to drive it and to act as that strategic advisor to the rest of the team, the management team. Um, We talked about the shift in the expectations, not only from the employer, but also the team members, where it's all about um, culture and about work-life balance and how do you set those expectations at the beginning so that your team mem- team members stay motivated whether they're going through change or, or even after that change and making sure you're asking those right questions of both your team members and your employers as to what they're wanting and what they're expecting and you know so that you're all set up for su- success. The fact that we've covered that in half an hour is amazing so thank you so much um john um so if anyone is looking to have some advice and some help with the recruitment of their their team um how can they get hold of you and what's the best way to find out more about you and your your company yeah no so um uh, i'd always encourage people to link me in um so it's john smith the recruitment group um our website's www.thearg.co.uk um and yeah, failing life. Um, if they jump online and, and find us, by all means, we'd always uh, welcome a call in the office and, and speak on our consultants on the phone. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate your time today. It's been fantastic um, and great to great to hear that even recruiters are starting to see the shift in the role as well. So fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, Hannah. 
Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. I actually have a favour to ask. Reviews and shares are incredibly important to the success of any podcast. If you could spare a minute to share this episode on your social network or leave us a comment to tell us what you liked, I would really appreciate it. Feel free to tell me what topics interest you most. I would really love to hear your feedback. Don't forget to check out our latest CFO 4.0 webinar on budgeting and planning in a volatile environment. Click the link in the show notes or visit www.itassolutions.co.uk and click on our events page for more info and great content. And if you want to reach out at any point, tell us what you liked, tell us what we can do better, then feel free. Just email us at cfopodcast.itassolutions.co.uk. Thank you and speak soon.